0: Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Acts as we continue our sermon series called Church on the Move. As we've been walking through the life of the early church, when Jesus left and gave the mission to his disciples of making disciples of all nations, we see the church birthed in Acts chapter 2, and then see the church flourish as it seeks to fulfill the mission. That Jesus left his disciples to fulfill. I don't know if you can remember the days before the internet was actually fast. Remember dial up? You remember those days? See, our kids have no idea what that's like. They also have no idea what it's like to not be able to go online and search for anything that you could want to search for, like cliff notes of a book that you have to read for school. See, I remember growing up and working through English class and having to actually go to the bookstore and find the Cliff Notes version of whatever book I was supposed to be reading to figure out what was actually going on. This morning, we are going to get the Cliff Notes version of the entire Old Testament. It's only 61 verses, so don't fear, church, on Time Sunday, Time Change Sunday, We're going to look this morning at the message of the gospel from Genesis to Malachi, the entire Old Testament, God's hand at work. We're going to witness God's providence and God's patience and God's provision as He is preparing to bring the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to this earth. We're going to unpack that this morning. I want to read for us just the last part of chapter 6 to set up our time together this morning. I want to pray, and then we will work through the remainder of chapter 7 today. Luke continues in the story and writes, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear that You would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be ready to respond to Your Word and to Your Spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea, and then we're going to journey through chapter 7 as we walk from Genesis to Malachi. The Old Testament is a beautiful reminder of God's providence, patience, and provision. The Old Testament. Now, you may have heard that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament don't seem to match. You may hear people talk about the Old Testament and say, yeah, we don't really want to deal with all of that. There's a lot of crazy things that happen in there, and God seems to be kind of on the war path. God seems to be angry all the time, like He's just waiting to get someone and to take them out and that's not the God that we see in the New Testament. You may have heard that. But this morning, what I want us to do is to recognize that the God of the Old Testament is the same God who is in the New Testament. The God of grace and the God of mercy, the God of provision and the God of providence, the God who has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth is the same God who was journeying with His people Throughout the Old Testament, we see throughout the Old Testament a scarlet thread of redemption, the glimpses of what God is doing in this world that finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ coming to this earth, living a perfectly sinless life, taking your sin and my sin upon himself, paying for that on the cross, and then being raised On the third day, we see in the Old Testament the beautiful glimpse of God's hand at work. And so this morning... We're going to see Stephen, who was introduced to us in the text last week, who was set apart by the church to serve in a capacity early in the church where there was division, where there was strife, where there were problems that were transpiring. And we see this man, Stephen, step up at this point in time, and evidently for him, this was his appointed moment, not only to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but ultimately, as we'll see next week, to die as a result of that. But we see that Stephen is standing up for the gospel, that Stephen is disputing with the religious leaders of the day, those who were saying that Jesus Christ is not really the Son of God, that the gospel is not really good news, that Stephen is saying, oh yes it is. And he's disputing with them and he is convincing some of them and yet others are looking and saying, we've got to do something to stop this man. And so they bring up trumped charges against him. They bring in people that they pay who are going to lie about what Stephen is actually proclaiming, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see it transpire there in the last part of chapter six. And yet all the while, It says that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. You know, one of the things that's said about Moses in the Old Testament when he meets with God on the mountain is that he comes down and his face is shining. He had been with the Lord. It was evident for Stephen. He had been with the Lord. It was evident to everyone who was around him the high priest in verse 1 of chapter 7 asked are these things so are these charges stephen that are brought up against you are they real are they accurate are you really seeking to overthrow the religious establishment of the day? Are you, along with Jesus, proclaiming that this temple will be destroyed? Are you, along with Jesus, saying that the law is not really important anymore? Now, we know that that's not what Jesus was saying at all. When Jesus spoke of the temple being destroyed and being rebuilt in three days, He was speaking of His own physical body that He would die, but that He would raise again on the third day. And when He was speaking about the law of Moses, the religious leaders of the day had figured out a way to just check the boxes So as long as they did the right actions, it didn't matter what was going on in their heart. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 says, what God is most interested in is your heart. Because your actions flow out of what's going on in your heart. And so as Stephen is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the accusations that are lodged against him. And the high priest says, all right, Stephen, what's your response to this? I want you to notice what Stephen does. And if you're taking notes, which you really should do, it's encouraged highly, especially on Time Change Sunday, right? I want you to write this down because this is how I want for us to break up chapter 7 verses 2 through verse 53. It's going to be in sections because it's in these sections that we see Stephen move from Genesis all the way to Malachi to the end of the prophets. So in chapter 7 verses 2 through 8, Stephen covers all of Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 36. Let's read that, and then I want us to walk back through it together. He says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. And then when it, he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet He gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke. To this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. We see at the early part here of the reminder of God's calling of Abraham there early in the book of Genesis, where God came to Abraham and called him and set him apart and promised him that he would make him into a great nation. See, God early on in the book of Genesis reminding Abraham that if Abraham would trust in the Lord, his faith would be solely in God's provision and God's protection and God's promise that God would bless Abraham and as a result of blessing Abraham would bless all of the nations of the earth. It continues on, he says, but I will judge The nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. We see early on God's providence. God working behind the scenes, bringing about his plan and his purpose even as far back as the book of Genesis. I want you to understand that sin entering the world in Genesis chapter 3 didn't catch God off guard. That God wasn't in heaven after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden going, gosh, what do we do now, guys? How do we work through this? How do we prepare for this? No, God is a God who is in control at every single step of the way God is in control and not only that God is patient I don't know if you read Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 36 but Abraham at times is a knucklehead I don't know if you know that or not in fact what's so encouraging to me as you read through the Old Testament is you realize there are a lot of knuckleheads in the Old Testament let's just be honest there's a lot of knuckleheads in this room right And yet God is continuously patient with his people. God, through Abraham, is patiently waiting. And Abraham seems at times to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to follow you. And then there's times when he backs away and there's times when he's lying and he's saying that his wife is actually his sister and there's crazy things that are going on. And yet we see continuously God's patience with Abraham, continuing to work his plan. And we see God's provision With Abraham as well. That Abraham and Sarah in their old age conceive and have a son. God's promise being fulfilled to Abraham. And then we continue on and we begin to look in Acts chapter 7, verses 9 through 16. Taking notes here this morning, write down Genesis chapter 37 through. We're going to be introduced to Joseph in this time and God's people in Egypt. Verse 9, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Seventy-five persons in all. And Jacob went back down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Not too many years ago, we walked through the life of Joseph, those chapters in Genesis 37 through 50, and we saw once again God's providence, God's hand at work, bringing about his plan and his purpose. There is nothing that happens in our lives or in the Scriptures that happened by accident. It is always God's providential hand at work, bringing about His plan and His purposes. We see that displayed in the life of Joseph. Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers because they just didn't like him. If you have siblings, you know what I'm talking about. He was the golden boy. He was the one who had all of his father's attention and his brother said, listen, let's just kill him. You had siblings, you've had that thought before. Just take him out. And then one is pretty smart, he's financially savvy, he says, no, let's sell him into slavery. At least we can get something financially out of this. So that's exactly what they do. And so Joseph goes into slavery, and then Joseph's accused by the one who he's working for because his wife takes a liking to Joseph and says, I think I'd like to take him. And Joseph says, no, thank you. And he's ended up thrown in prison, and then spends time in prison, and then he's brought before Pharaoh to interpret dreams. And all of this time, God is at work behind the scenes, God's providential hand at work. And we find out why later on after all of the tragedy that Joseph experienced we find out later that all of it was for a specific purpose it was so that God's people the ones that we were introduced to earlier in this chapter and earlier in the book of Genesis that they would be saved from the famine that was coming into the land we see that displayed here we see God's providence we see God's patience i mean let's just be honest if you had done what the brothers had done at that point. If you were the sibling who had been sold into slavery, wouldn't you want at that point in time when you encounter them once again to say, it's payback time? That's not what Joseph does. God's work in Joseph's life causes him to approach his brothers with patience, recognizing that God was in all of the tragedy, in all of the pain, God was at work and God had placed Joseph exactly where he was to provide for his brothers and for his family so that God's promise to Abraham and to his kindred would be able to be fulfilled here in this moment. We continue on as we look at Stephen again recounting before the high priest and before the religious leaders, God's hand at work, God's patience, God's provision. We see it in chapter 7, verses 17 through 43. As in those verses, Stephen covers from Exodus to Deuteronomy. So the remainder of the Pentateuch there, we're going to see displayed here beginning in verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. And he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And he drew near to look, and there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers." the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge, this man God sent both as a ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. And as for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and they offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned them away and gave them over to worship the host of heavens, As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring me to slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the ten of Moloch, and the star of your God, Raphon the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. We see once again, in Exodus to Deuteronomy, in these verses, God's hand of providence at work. You see, God's people who had left And gone into Egypt, who were saved by Joseph and Pharaoh at that point, grew into a great nation. That's what we encounter beginning in the book of Exodus. We see God's people flourishing, and then we see the Pharaoh of the day say, let's persecute them. Let's make them our slaves lest they take over and rule over us. And we see that exact thing happening in the book of Exodus. And we see God calling out a man by the name of Moses and raising him up to do exactly what God wanted done. That was to lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land. And yet we see throughout that entire time God's patience with his people once again. Because there were moments when the children of Israel, as they were being led out of Egypt, that they looked and longed for Egypt once again. They looked and said, gosh, it would be better for us to head back in there. It would be better for us to go back to Egypt. At least we had food there and yet God was continuing to provide food for them. It would be better we had water there and then God would provide water and God would lead His people and God would provide for His people and God was patient with His people even at times as they said, God, we don't want to worship you anymore. We want to worship the false gods and yet God would turn their hearts back to Him. And we see God's providential hand at work, continuing to bring His people, to guide them, to lead them, to head in to the promised land that He had provided for them. We pick up in verse 44 through verse 47, and we cover there, Stephen does for us, the book of Joshua all the way to the book of Esther. We see Joshua and David, King and King Solomon, Described here, he says, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. We see once again God's providential hand at work, leading His people into the promised land, allowing them to be ruled by godly kings in David and in Solomon. We see that during this time, God continues to be patient with His people. God continues to provide for His people. All of this moving in the direction of Jesus Christ coming on to the scene. We pick up in verse 48 and we see there from the Psalms and all the way through the Prophets. Luke writes, "'Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. "'What kind of house will you build for me?' says the Lord. "'Or what is the place of my rest? "'Did not my hand make all these things?' Verse 51, Stephen speaking to the religious leaders of the day. "'You stiff-necked people, "'uncircumcised in hearts and ears,' You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Once again, Stephen reminds the religious leaders of the day that what's transpiring in Acts is exactly what happened throughout the Old Testament in the prophets. That God is providing for his people, that God is patient with his people, that God is continuing to work behind the scenes. And yet, for some reason, at every turn, it seems like God's people are saying, no, we don't want that. We want our way, we want our preferences, we want what we want, and we're not that interested, God, in what you're doing. And God continues to work, and God's continuing to provide, and God's continuing to be patient. And Stephen looks at these religious leaders who were experts in the Old Testament, and he says to them, listen, you are doing exactly what your father and our fathers did back in the Old Testament. You've lost sight of the reality that God is at work, that Jesus Christ has been sent to this earth for you so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be made right with God. And yet, you reject Him. You continue to shut the door just like our fathers did. You murdered Him. His blood is on your hands. You can pat yourself on the back. You just read the entire Old Testament this morning. Here's the question. Why does Stephen go through the entire Old Testament for the religious leaders? He does it for a very specific purpose. He does it. So that their eyes would be open to the reality of what God has done. So that the gospel message that's being preached about who Jesus Christ is, is not a new message. In fact, what he wants them to understand is that it began at Genesis. It began at the beginning. And throughout the Old Testament, God's hand was at work with His people. God was being patient with His people. God was providing for His people. God was launching forward with His plan to bring His Son to this earth. And what He wants them to understand and what we need to understand today is that the Old Testament, God who is at work there is the same God who is at work in the New Testament. The same God who was working behind the scenes is the same God who is working behind the scenes in the New Testament. The same God who is patient with his people is the same God who is patient with his people in the New Testament. The same God who is providing for his people in the Old Testament is a God who is providing for his people in the New Testament. And let's get personal with us in particular. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, the reality is the gospel message is a message of God's providence it's a message of God at work all the way back from the beginning of time Jesus is the savior the shepherd the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world for you and for me if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning your story doesn't begin When you were born, your story begins long before that, in the heart of God, as God is working His plan to bring redemption to your soul. It's not by accident that you were born where you were born. It's not by accident that you heard the gospel when you heard the gospel. It's not by accident that you responded to the message of Jesus Christ, when you responded, God was working the entire time. If you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus as your Savior, you're here not by accident this morning. God, from the beginning of time, knew that you would be here sitting in this room, knew that you would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that your sins can be forgiven, that you can be made right with God. God orchestrated it out so that you would be here right now, so that you would hear who Jesus Christ is. Isn't it encouraging, too, to know that the gospel message is a message of patience, that God is patient with us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know that. You know the reality this morning that God is patient with you. You know right now that God is patient with you. Just reflect on that for just a moment. Put yourself in the shoes of God and ask the question, would I have taken me out by now? <laughs> and yet God is patient with us. And if you're not a believer this morning and you're here and you've heard the gospel, you may have heard this message hundreds of times before now. And God is patient with you to the point that once again, you have an opportunity to hear it and to respond to it this morning. God is patient with us. We see that transpire throughout the Old Testament. We see that transpire in our own lives. That's the good news of the message of the gospel. And the gospel is a message of provision, of God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's what we see happen throughout the entire Old Testament. That's what Stephen is reminding the religious leaders of. He says, listen... We didn't deserve any of what happened to us as God's chosen people. We didn't deserve to make it out of Egypt. We didn't deserve to make it into the promised land. We turned our back on God so many times, and yet God continued to work in us and through us, and God continued to provide and to meet the needs that we have. And for us as believers this morning, that same thing is true for us. Remind yourself this morning that you didn't save yourself. You weren't good enough to merit God's favor. You weren't righteous enough for God to look at you and say, oh gosh, i got to get him on the team. Or i got to get her on the team. She's so good or he's so good. That's not at all what happened. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. The provision that we needed. A Savior who could save us from our sins. You're not a believer here this morning. God has provided a way for you to be forgiven of your sins and to be made right in relationship with Him. That provision is Jesus Christ. You can trust Him and be saved this morning. You can be forgiven of your sins, be made right with God, live in a relationship with him. But church, let's be reminded that our story didn't start at North River Church nine years ago. Our story at North River Church started thousands and thousands of years ago. And we've seen displayed throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, throughout the last 2,000 years of church history, throughout the last nine years as a church here, God's providential hand at work, God's patience with His people, and God's provision for His people. We have reason to celebrate the message of the gospel this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the opportunity once again to be reminded of the storyline of the Scriptures. That from the beginning of time, Your plan was always to send Your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Father, that Your plan included being patient with your people. Your plan ultimately was the provision of salvation through Jesus Christ. So Father, this morning for us as believers, would you remind us of how great a gift the salvation is that we've received? Would you remind us of your provision? Would you remind us of your patience, would you remind us that you are at work in this world in which we live? Father, where there's moments for us as believers that we doubt, where there's moments that we struggle, where there's moments that we don't know how to put the next foot in front of the other, would you help us to cling to the truth of the message of the gospel? a message that displays your providential hand at work. Would you remind us this morning that you are at work in our lives? You are at work in this world. Would you remind us also this morning, Father, that you are patient with us? Some of us have come in this room this morning and we have walked away from you. Father, some of us are living lives that don't, measure up to what you've called us to live out. Some of us are living in sin this morning that needs to be confessed and needs to be dealt with. And God, you are patient with us. And you call us to repentance. You call us to turn from our sin and to walk with you. Father, this morning, remind us of the great provision Your Son, Jesus Christ, who has saved us. Help us not take for granted the great act of grace and mercy that we've seen on display. Father, for those who are not believers here this morning, they've heard the truth of who Jesus Christ is that their sins can be forgiven, that they can place their faith in Him and experience relationship with You once again. Father, would You help them take that step this morning? We ask this all in Your Son Jesus' name. Amen.